Chapter One of the Armourers' Prentices. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Armourers' Prentices by Charlotte M. Young. Chapter One The Verdurer's Lodge. Give me the poor a lottery my father left me by testament and that i will go buy me fortunes get you with him you old dog as you like it the officials of the new forest have ever since the days of the conqueror enjoyed some of the pleasantest dwellings that southern england can boast the home of the birkenholt family was not one of the least delightful it stood at the foot of a rising ground on which grew a grove of magnificent beeches their large silvery bowls rising majestically like columns into a lofty vaulting of branches covered above with tender green foliage here and there the shade beneath was broken by the gliding of a ray of sunshine on a lower twig or on a white trunk but the floor of the vast arcades was almost entirely of the russet brown of the fallen leaves save where a fern or holly bush made a spot of green at the foot of the slope lay a stretch of pasture ground some parts covered by lady smocks all silver white but the course of the little stream through the midst indicated by a perfect golden river of shining kingcups interspersed with ferns beyond lay tracts of brown heath and brilliant gorse and broom which stretched for miles and miles along the flats while the dry ground was covered with holly brake and here and there woods of oak and beech made a sea of verdure purpling in the distance cultivation was not attempted but hardy little ponies cows goats sheep and pigs were feeding and picking their way about in the marshy mead below and a small garden of pot herbs enclosed by a strong fence of timber lay on the sunny side of a spacious rambling forest lodge only one story high built of solid timber and roofed with shingle it was not without strong pretensions to beauty as well as to picturesqueness for the posts of the door the architecture of the deep porch the frames of the lattice windows and the verge boards were all richly carved in grotesque devices over the door was the royal shield between a pair of magnificent antlers the spoils of a deer reported to have been slain by king edward the fourth as was denoted by the glorious son of york carved beneath the shield in the background among the trees were ranges of stables and kennels and on the grass plat in front of the windows was a row of beehives a tame doe lay on the little green sard not far from a large rough deerhound both close friends who could be trusted at large there was a mournful dispirited look about the hound evidently an aged animal for the once black muzzle was touched with gray and there was a film over the keen beautiful eyes which opened eagerly as he pricked his ears and lifted his head at the rattle of the door latch then as two boys came out he rose and with a slowly waving tail and a wistful appealing air came and laid his head against one of the pair who had appeared in the porch they were lads of fourteen and fifteen clad in suits of new mourning with the short belted doublet 
puffed hose small ruffs and little round caps of early tudor times they had dark eyes and hair and honest open faces the younger ruddy and sunburnt the elder thinner and more intellectual and they were so much the same size that the advantage of age was always supposed to be on the side of stephen though he was really the junior by nearly a year both were sad and grave and the eyes and cheeks of stephen showed traces of recent floods of tears though there was more settled dejection on the countenance of his brother ay spring said the lad tis winter with thee now a poor old rogue did the new housewife talk of a halter because he showed his teeth when her ill-nurtured brat wanted to ride on him nay old spring thou shalt share thy master's fortunes changed though they be oh father father didst thou guess how it would be with thy boys and throwing himself on the grass he hid his face against the dog and sobbed come stephen stephen tis time to play the man what are we to do out in the world if you weep and wail she might have let us stay for the month's mind was heard from stephen ay and though we might be more glad to go we might carry bitterer thoughts along with us better be done with it at once say i there would still be the forest and i saw the moorhens sitting yester-eve and the wild ducklings are out on the pool and the woods are full of song oh ambrose i never knew how hard it is to part nay now steve where be all your plots for bravery you always meant to seek your fortune not bide here like an acorn for ever i never thought to be thrust forth the very day of our poor father's burial by a shrewish town-bred vixen and a base narrow-souled hist hist said the more prudent ambrose let him hear who will he cannot do worse for us than he has done all the forest will cry shame on him for a mean-hearted skinflint to turn his brothers from their home ere their father and his be cold in his grave cried stephen clenching the grass with his hands in his passionate sense of wrong that's womanish said ambrose who'll be the woman when the time comes for drawing cold steel cried stephen sitting up at that moment there came through the porch a man a few years over thirty likewise in mourning with a paler sharper countenance than the brothers and an uncomfortable pleading expression of self-justification how now lads he said what means this passion you have taken the matter too hastily there was no thought that ye should part till you had some purpose in view nay we should be fain for ambrose to bide on here so he would leave his portion for me to deal with and teach little will his primer and accidents you're a quiet lad ambrose and can rule your tongue better than stephen thanks brother john said ambrose somewhat sarcastically but where stephen goes i go i would i would have found stephen a place among the prickers or rangers if hesitated john in sooth i would yet do it if he would make it up with the housewife my father looked higher for his son than a pricker's office returned ambrose that do i what said john and therefore tis for his own good that i would send him forth his godfather our uncle birkenholt he will assuredly provide for him and set him forth the door of the house was opened 
and a shrewish voice cried mr birkenholt here husband you are wanted here's little kate crying to have yonder smooth pouch to stroke and i cannot reach it for her father set store by that otter-skin pouch for poor prince arthur slew the otter cried stephen surely john you'll not let the babes make a toy of that john made a helpless gesture and at a renewed call went indoors you are right ambrose said stephen this is no place for us why should we tarry any longer to see everything moiled and set at naught i have couched in the forest before and tis summer time nay said ambrose we must make up our fardels and have our money in our pouches before we can depart we must tarry the night and call john to his reckoning and so might we set forth early enough in the morning to lie at winchester that night and take counsel with our uncle birkenholt i would not stop short at winchester said stephen london for me where uncle randall will find us preferment and what wilt do for spring take him with me of course exclaimed stephen what would i leave him to be kicked and punched by will and hanged belike by mistress maud i doubt me whether the poor old hound will brook the journey then i'll carry him ambrose looked at the big dog as if he thought it would be a serious undertaking but he had known and loved spring as his brother's property ever since his memory began and he scarcely felt that he could be separable for weal or woe the verdurers of the new forest were of gentle blood and their office was well-nigh hereditary the birkenholts had held it for many generations and the reversion passed as a matter of course to the eldest son of the late holder who had newly been laid in the burial ground of Bewley abbey john birkenholt whose mother had been of knightly lineage had resented his father's second marriage with the daughter of a yeoman on the verge of the forest suspected of a strain of gypsy blood and had lived little at home becoming a sort of agent at southampton for business connected with the timber which was yearly cut in the forest to supply material for the shipping he had wedded the daughter of a person engaged in law business at southampton and had only been on occasional visitor at home ever after the death of his stepmother she had left these two boys unwelcome appendages in his sight they had obtained a certain amount of education at Bewley abbey where a school was kept and where ambrose daily studied though for the last few months stephen had assisted his father in his forest duties death had come suddenly to break up the household in the early spring of fifteen fifteen and john birkenholt had returned as if to a patrimony bringing his wife and children with him the funeral ceremonies had been conducted at Bewley abbey on the extensive scale of the sixteenth century the requiem the feast and the doll all taking place there leaving the forest lodge in its ordinary quiet it had always been understood that on their father's death the two younger sons must make their own way in the world but he had hoped to live until they were a little older when he might himself have started them in life or expressed his wishes respecting them to their elder brother as it was however there was no commendation of them nothing but a strip of parchment drawn up by one of the monks of Bewley, leaving each of them twenty crowns with a few small jewels and properties left by their own mother while everything else went to their brother 
there might have been some jealousy excited by the estimation in which stephen's efficiency boy as he was was evidently held by the plain-spoken underlings of the verdurer and this added to mistress birkenholt's dislike to the presence of her husband's half-brothers whom she regarded as interlopers without a right to exist matters were brought to a climax by old spring's resentment at being roughly teased by her spoilt children he had done nothing worse than growl and show his teeth but the town-bred dame had taken alarm and half in terror half in spite had insisted on his instant execution since he was too old to be valuable stephen who loved the dog only less than he loved his brother ambrose had come to high words with her and the end of the altercation had been that she had declared that she would suffer no great lubbers of the half-blood to devour her children's inheritance and teach them ill manners and that go they must and that instantly john had muttered a little about not so fast dame and for very shame but she had turned on him and rated him with a violence that demonstrated who was the ruler in the house and took away all disposition to tarry long under the new dynasty the boys possessed two uncles one on each side of the house their father's elder brother had been a man-at-arms having preferred a stirring life to the forest and had fought in the last surges of the wars of the roses having become disabled and infirm he had taken advantage of a carody or right of maintenance as being of kin to a benefactor of hyde abbey at winchester to which birkenholt some generations back had presented a few roods of land in right of which one descendant at a time might be maintained in the abbey intelligence of his brother's death had been sent to richard birkenholt but answer had been returned that he was too ill-disposed with the gout to attend the burial the other uncle harry randall had disappeared from the country under a cloud connected with the king's deer leaving behind him the reputation of a careless thriftless jovial fellow the best company in all the forest and capable of doing every one's work save his own the two brothers who were about seven and six years old at the time of his flight had a lively recollection of his charms as a playmate and of their mother's grief for him and refusal to believe any ill of her how rumours had come of his attainment to vague and unknown greatness at court under the patronage of the lord archbishop of york which the verdurer laughed to scorn though his wife gave credit to them gifts had come from time to time passed through a succession of servants and officials of the king such as a coral and silver rosary a bejewelled bodkin an agate carved with st catherine an ivory pouncet box with a pierced gold coin as the lid but no letter with them as indeed hal randall had never been induced to learn to read or write master birkenholt looked doubtfully at the tokens and hoped hal had come honestly by them but his wife had thoroughly imbued her sons with the belief that uncle hal was shining in his proper sphere where he was better appreciated than at home thus their one plan was to go to london to find uncle hal who was sure to put stephen on the road to fortune and enable ambrose to become a great scholar his favourite ambition his gifts would as ambrose observed serve them as tokens and with the purpose of claiming them they re-entered the hall a long low room 
with a handsome open roof and walls tapestried with dressed skins interspersed with antlers hung with weapons of the chase at one end of the hall was a small polished barrel always replenished with beer at the other a hearth with a wood fire constantly burning and there was a table running the whole length of the room at one end of this was laid a cloth with a few trenchers on it and horn cups surrounding a barley loaf and a cheese this meagre irregular supper being considered as a sufficient supplement to the funeral baked meats which had abounded at beaulieu john birkenholt sat at the table with a trencher and horn before him uneasily using his knife to crumble rather than cut his bread his wife a thin pale shrewish-looking woman was warming her child's feet at the fire before putting him to bed and an old woman sat spinning and nodding on a settle at a little distance brother said stephen we have thought on what you said we will put our stuff together and if you will count us out our portions we will be afoot by sunrise tomorrow nay nay lad i said not there was such haste did i mistress housewife she snorted only that thou art a well-grown lusty fellow and tis time thou wentest forth for thee ambrose thou wottest i made thee a fair offer of bed and board that is called out the wife if thou wilt make a fair scholar of little will tis a mighty good offer there are not many who would let their child be taught by a mere stripling like thee nay said ambrose who could not bring himself to thank her i go with stephen mistress i would mend my scholarship ere i teach as you please said mistress maud shrugging her shoulders only never say that a fair offer was not made to you and said stephen so please you brother john hand us over our portions and the jewels as bequeathed to us and we will be gone portions quotha returned john boy they be not due to you till you become to years of discretion the brothers looked at one another and stephen said nay now brother i know not how that may be but i do know that you cannot drive us from our father's house without maintenance and detain what belongs to us and ambrose muttered something about my lord beaulieu look you now said john did i ever speak of driving you from home without maintenance hath not ambrose had his choice of staying here and stephen of waiting till some office be found for him as for putting forty crowns into the hands of striplings like you it were mere throwing it to the robbers that being so said ambrose turning to stephen we will to beaulieu to see what counsel my lord will give us yea do like the vipers ye are and embroil us with my lord beaulieu cried maud from the fire see said john in his more caressing fashion it is not well to carry family tales to strangers and and he was disconcerted by a laugh from the old nurse ho john birkenholt thou wast ever a lad of smooth tongue but an thou or madam here think that thy brothers can be put forth from thy father's door without their due before the good man be cold in his grave and the forest not ring with it thou art mightily out in thy reckoning peace thou old hag what matterest of thee began mistress maud but again came the harsh laugh matter of mine why whose matter should it be but mine that have nursed all three of the lads ay and their father before them besides four more that lie in the graveyard at beaulieu 
rest their sweet souls and i tell thee master john and do thou not righteously by these brothers thou mayst back to thy parchments at southampton for not a man or beast in the forest will give thee good day they all felt the old woman's authority she was able and spirited in her homely way and more mistress of the house than mrs birkenholt herself and such were the terms of domestic service that there was no peril of losing her place even maud knew that to turn her out was an impossibility and that she must be accepted like the loneliness damp and other evils of forest life john had been under her dominion and proceeded to persuade her good now nurse joan what have i denied these rash striplings that my father would have granted them wouldst thou have them carry all their portion in their hands to be cousins of it at the first alehouse or robbed on the next heath i would have thee do a brother's honest part john birkenholt a loving part i say not thou wert always like a very popple for hardness and smoothness ay and slipperiness hey ho but what is right by the lads thou shalt do john cowered under her eye as he had done at six years old and faltered i only seek to do them right nurse nurse joan uttered an emphatic grunt but mistress maud broke in they are not to hang about here in idleness eating my poor child's substance and teaching him ill manners we would not stay here if you paid us for it returned stephen and whither would you go asked john to winchester first to seek counsel with our uncle birkenholt then to london where uncle randall will help us to our fortunes gypsy how he is more like to help you to a halter sneered john sotto voce and joan herself observed their uncle at winchester will show them better than to run after that there go by chance however as no one wished to keep the youths and they were equally determined to go an accommodation was come to at last john was induced to give them three crowns apiece and to yield them up the five small trinkets specified though not without some murmurs from his wife it was no doubt safer to leave the rest of the money in his hands than to carry it with them and he undertook that it should be forthcoming if needed for any fit purpose such as the purchase of an office an apprentice's fee or an outfit as a squire it was a vague promise that cost him nothing just then and thus could be readily made and john's great desire was to get them away so that he could aver that they had gone by their own free will without any hardship for he had seen enough of his father's obsequies to show him that the love and sympathy of all the scanty dwellers in the forest was with them nurse joan had fought their battles but with the sore heart of one who was parting with her darlings never to see them again she bade them doff their suits of mourning that she might make up their fardels as they would travel in their lincoln green suits to take these she repaired to the little rough shed-like chamber where the two brothers lay for the last time on their pallet bed awake and watching for her with spring at their feet the poor old woman stood over them as over the motherless nurslings whom she had tended and she should probably never see more but she was a woman of shrewd sense and perceived that with the new madam in the hall it was better that they should be gone before worse ensued she advised leaving their valuables sealed up in the hands of my lord abbot but they were averse to this 
for they said their uncle Randall, who had not seen them since they were little children, would not know them without some pledge. She shook her head. The less you deal with Hal Randall, the better, she said. Come now, lads, be advised and go no farther than Winchester, where Master Ambrose may get all the book learning he is ever craving for, and you, Master Stevie, may prentice yourself to some good trade. Prentice, said Stephen scornfully. Ay, ay, as good blood as thine has been prenticed, returned Joan. Better so than be a cutthroat sword and buckler fellow, ever slaying someone else or getting thyself slain, a terror to all peaceful folk. But thine uncle will see to that. A steady-minded lad always was he, was Master Dick. Consoling herself with this hope, the old woman rolled up their new suits with some linen into two neat knapsacks, sighing over the thought that unaccustomed fingers would deal with the shirts she had spun, bleached and sewn. But she had confidence in Master Dick, and concluded that to send his nephews to him at Winchester gave a far better chance of their being cared for than letting them be flouted into ill-doing by their grudging brother and his wife. End of chapter 1